Welcome to the sermon podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Hello, welcome to the bonus episode of the Canton Church Podcast. Uh, My name is Jeremy Isaacs. I'm the lead pastor of Canton Church, and I'm glad that you're listening today. Over the last four weeks at our church, we've been in a series of sermons called You Asked For It. This series uh, dealt with topics that were submitted from our congregation over the last few weeks and months, and we talked about things like the Bible, how do you know it's credible, how do we handle offensive parts, and other things about the Bible. We talked about God's will, what is it, how do I know if I'm in it, what do I do if I missed it. Uh, My wife Corey and I talked about parenting one week. We answered the question that had been submitted, how do you raise kids in today's culture, And then finally, the last week of the series, I dealt with several topics that I just called the spiritual stuff. Uh, We were looking at the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, the book of Revelation, uh, and and a lot more. Uh, I actually had way too much content in week four, if I'm being honest. Uh, But throughout the series, we had a phone number on the screen in our auditorium, and people texted in questions anonymously through an app. And each week at the end of the message, uh, in each of our three services, we answered a few of those questions live. Uh, Now that the series is complete, we wanted to spend a little time addressing some of those questions. And so today we've got Pastor Trevor Heineman. He's our administrative pastor here at Canton Church. And he's just going to be asking some of these questions. Uh, We'll try to do it by week. Uh, So we'll stay with the the order of the series. And so he'll ask the questions and I'll try to answer some of these. Some of these we got to uh, in each of the services each week and some of them we did not. But we just wanted to spend some time trying to answer as many of these questions as we could. So Trevor, thanks for uh, helping us out here. Absolutely. So week one, we talked about the Bible. We had a lot of questions come in regarding the Bible in week one. The first question was, how do you respond to people who see the Bible as a weapon to hurt people or feel guilty and see the Bible as something targeted towards them? Yeah, we got this question in uh, one of the services and I was able to actually answer it then. But I, I would just say that if you're the kind of person that uses scripture as a weapon, that you need to be careful Uh, because I don't view the scriptures as a weapon as much as I do a surgical scalpel for myself. Uh, You know, the Bible talks about being careful that we look for, you know, splinters in other people's eyes when we have a log in our own. But here's what I know. Scripture very specifically tells me that I am not the judge, and you're not the judge either. There is one judge. Uh, Now, in relationship with people, when I have a relationship with people and I have permission to speak truth into their life and to really challenge them to to be who they say they are, then I I do not shy away from that. But I would be careful because even the way this this question is worded, like that doesn't sound like we're doing it among friends. Like if I'm trying to help you by using the Bible to challenge you to to live closer to God. If I'm using it as a weapon, I'm trying to harm you. Uh, And so that's a different intent. That's a different motive. The other thing that I would say is if you're the kind of person that's received something from someone and you feel hurt by that, you know, Romans chapter 8 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think um, we need to recognize that, that the Lord gives grace to all of us. He gives mercy to us that we don't deserve. He extends love and forgiveness to us. Um, and so we need to recognize that while the truth is the truth that sets us free, that he comes to us full of grace and truth. And so uh, don't view it as a weapon. View it as a saving, a saving grace. It's a, it's a life preserver for you because of Jesus Christ. That's good. Is there anything or anywhere in Scripture that clarifies our understanding of, of the phrase, God always was? Yeah. You know, when I saw this question, I, I don't know what this person meant uh, by clarifying our understanding other than to say that God always was. I mean, John chapter 1, when it's talking about 
really the, the supernatural lineage of Jesus Christ says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God in the beginning. So the idea that Jesus was with God in the beginning. So he wasn't there after the beginning, he was in the beginning. So, you know, Psalm 90 verse two says, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So again, I'm not sure the clarifying the understanding, we just understand that scripture tells us that God is eternal. Um, and so for that, we just recognize he is from everlasting to everlasting. He was in the beginning and he will be uh, for eternity. This next question, I remember when it came in, I thought that the person might have been referencing the parables of Jesus, but it says, how do we distinguish the things that are written literally and the things that are written metaphorically? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know if they're asking just for an understanding uh, you know, how do I know so that I can understand it? Or if they're really asking specifically for the, the parts of Scripture that they're looking to apply to their life, yeah. so if they're looking for application. Um, but, you know, we talked about in, in the sermon that week um, about how to interpret, especially some of the Old Testament Scriptures related to, is this a civil, ceremonial, or moral law to really understand their intent so that we could apply those things or, or recognize their context? Um, so that would speak more to the application. But beyond that, if they're talking about just to understand Scripture, then I think you just start with some of those obvious things. If they're talking about the parables of Jesus, you know, he obviously tells a story. So the, the writers there are saying, hey, and then Jesus told a story. Um, and so those stories were meant to reveal a greater truth. But other than that, I think it's important that we look at the context to understand, are they talking about real people in real places in real historical times? And if so, then can supplemental resources confirm the events? Can they take us to the place where it happened? And is there evidence that that event really happened? Uh, if not, then I think you know that may be something that is more metaphorical or something that reveals a larger truth in, in the way that it was told. But I think don't take anything at face value. I don't say that to devalue scripture. I think that you read scripture and then you do study and you dig in. Uh, and then the other thing that I said that week during the message, which I think is important, that we shouldn't miss the obvious as we wrestle with the obscure. Good. I think so often... You know, a lot of people that want to get into biblical debate are just looking to have a fight yeah. and wrestle with the one or two things that really require a lot of conversation and a lot of study to understand. But there are so many obvious truths in Scripture that we overlook because we're just kind of dealing with those obscure things. That's good. What do you recommend as a really good commentary or resource for studying Scripture? You love to study. What do you use? I do. I, you know, I read the YouVersion Bible app. It's just a part of my daily reading. And in that, there's reading plans and there's community resources so that people are talking about what those verses mean to them. But as far as more um, academic, an online resource that's available for free is blueletterbible.org. Um, and they have commentaries, they have language tools so that you can look at any verse in scripture, look at any word within that verse or any phrase within that verse and look back to the original language and then see where that specific word in the original language was used in any other verse of scripture throughout the Bible. So it's just a great resource. So blueletterbible.org is a great one. There's tons of other ones, but those are the two that I would just recommend quickly. We'll hit more of this when we talk about week three and parenting, but the question came in in week one of how do you handle the tougher parts of the Bible with your kids? Yeah, and we did answer this one in the message as well because it, it came in that Sunday, but I think you just, it's like anything with parenting. You use wisdom. You know, I think you know what they can handle um, just like you do with other literature, music, movies, entertainment. Um, not to put the Bible in those categories, but you use wisdom as parents in what we expose our children to. Um, with my wife and our kids, we start with stories that reveal who God is um, and then who they are, that they were created, they were formed by God. He loves them. Jesus loves them. Um, you know, those kind of things. And then we progress 
as they mature to help them understand more the character of God and God's plan and God's will for their life specifically. So I just think you use wisdom there with anything else that you're exposing your kids to or teaching your kids. That's good. This next one's a really specific question that came in. It says, will word of faith theology send me to hell? Yeah, I, I, interestingly, you know, when we got that question, we didn't have time. I think it came in late, so we didn't have time to answer it in that service. But the word theology just means the study of God. So if you're talking about a word of faith theology, I'm not sure what that specific person was asking, um, though I understand, you know, a little bit about what I think they may be referencing. Any theology that positions you away from complete and utter dependence on Christ for salvation will definitely lead you toward hell. So whether that's this specific theology that this person is referencing or anything else, if a study of God um, takes you away from the need for Jesus Christ and the cross for your salvation, uh, then, then I think you, you have reason to pause. But you know, the word is right, faith is an absolute, but no matter what you call it, your theology must cause you to study God and not some man-made system to get to God. Um, so you know, I would be careful condemning anybody to hell just based on a sing- single question. Um, but I definitely think that theology as the study of God should point us to who is God and what does God require of us. That's good. Final question from week one that came in is, how do you handle hyper grace or love one another versus conviction? Yeah, again, these are some very specific questions, so I, I don't want to impose my thoughts on what I think they're, they're asking, um, but just based on what they've asked here, I'm assuming they're talking about in, in this day and time when you know, people may be wrestling with, is there absolute truth and uh, understanding grace and being grace-filled and loving one another and, and that kind of thing. There is definitely a move towards being graceful and grace-filled towards people and not speaking the truth in love, which we talked about even a little bit. You know, Romans teaches us that the weight of the law makes us realize our guilt. So once we've experienced guilt, we struggle with grace. We want to receive it, but we often struggle with others receiving it. But in following the example of Jesus Christ, it says that he was full of grace and truth. He was full of it. And I wonder which of these two I'm more full of sometimes. It doesn't <laughs> cause me to uh, delay very much to realize I'm uh, usually more full of truth than I am yeah. grace. I, I, I'm judgmental if I'm not careful. Um, my religiosity causes me to condemn people um, rather than to you know help f- them find a way out. Um, and so if I'm not careful, I can definitely swing the other way. So I would say we probably need more grace than less grace. Um, and again, like I answered, I think in one of the first questions already is just, if I'm in relationship with someone, then I'm not afraid at all to speak the truth in love to say, Hey, I want more for you. I believe there's more in you. You, you claim to be this, but you're living contrary to that. But if I'm not in relationship, then I kind of approach that person similar to what Jesus did with the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know, he, he approached her by kneeling down next to her. He, he kind of found himself in her condition and then he called out to her accusers, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. But then he did correct her. He said, go and sin no more. So I want to live in that balance of full of grace and full of truth. So it's definitely a balancing act. And I don't know that anybody ever gets it completely right. Um, so every situation requires us to, to kind of ponder, do I need more grace or more truth here? Uh, and I think as long as we love one another in the way that Christ loved us and we extend the kind of grace towards others that he extends towards us, uh, it's hard to go wrong. This past year in Easter, we did a survey at the end, a response card at the end of the message. And on the back of it, there was a survey that people could mark some topics that they'd be interested in hearing. And and on that, the most marked cards that we got, the most marked one that we had was God's will. And so week two of the U.S. 4 series, we spent the whole time talking about God's will. 
and there were, there were several questions that came in that were all very similar and they they had to deal with like how do I know if I've heard God's voice what do I do if I feel like I've missed it um, does God speak specifically or vaguely and so do you want to answer kind of all of those in one question yeah you know those were great questions and there, there were a lot of the same ones that came in um, you know all of them relating to just identifying God's voice in our lives and when we talk about God's voice, you know, I, I have said from our stage, I have never heard the audible voice of God. Um, and so when I talk about hearing God's voice, um, I'm using language that I draw from Scripture. John chapter 10 talks about Jesus being the good shepherd and that we're his sheep. And he says that if we are his sheep, we obey him because we know his voice. Uh, and so the idea here is that I, I, I listen to his voice and his voice in my life takes many forms. Obviously, we believe, and we talked about it in week one, that the Bible is the Word of God. So it is, it's active, it's alive, it was given to us so that we could understand who God is and what God desires for us. And so I use God's Word, obviously, as a, as a place of reference for, for God speaking to me. And then beyond that, I, I would say that when I hear God's voice, what I'm describing is a nudge, an impression, a prompting in my soul, uh, even in my mind, where I feel like God is leading me a direction. God is, is impressing upon me to respond to someone or to say something to someone or to obey or to withdraw from a situation or to abstain from an activity or, you know, those kind of things. So it's, it's a prompting, it's a nudge and an impression. And, and what I would say is if I'm going to live out John 10 and, and know the voice of God, then I have to immerse myself in places where God is speaking. So I, I need to read God's word on a regular basis. I need to spend time in worship and quiet meditation in God's presence. The more I surround myself with like godly people who are pursuing him, the more I recognize his voice in my life. You know, does and then it, when that happens, I'm asking myself, does it sound like God's word? Does it sound like God would get the glory if I obey what I feel and what I'm prompted? And that's really what we're teaching our kids right now. Like if they feel like, oh, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for that person, or I feel like I'm supposed to give money to that person, or I feel like I'm not supposed to go do that. You know, we would say, okay, well, if you obey that prompting, if you obey, obey what you believe to be God's voice, would God get the glory from that? And if so, even if it's not 100% God or you're not sure, then go ahead and do it because out of your zeal for obedience, God is glorified in that. He's honored in that. Um, and so that's something that we, you know, we do. And so I think we just have to be careful um, and discern, and that just means to distinguish. And we do that by just learning what God's voice sounds like by immersing ourselves in situations where we believe and know that God is speaking. That's great. One more question from the week that we talked about God's will is how do you decipher when someone is speaking into your life saying, God told me to tell you this, and that being God's will for your life? Yeah, you know, we talked a little bit about this in week four when we were talking about prophecy and we were talking about words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Um, but the idea here is I would ask the question, do they love God and do they want what's best for me? Um, you know, if, if those two filters are not obvious yeses, then I would, it would cause me to pause and go, if they don't love God, why would they be speaking for God? And if they don't want what's best for me, even if it's a line of correction that they're bringing, if they would be bringing correction because they want what's best for me. They want me to change my behavior because the Lord is trying to get my attention. If they don't want what's best for me and they're just trying to make me feel shame or guilt, if they're just trying to you know tear me down, then again, that would cause me to pause because that doesn't seem to reflect the character and nature of God. The other question that I would ask, which may not be the one that I lead with, but is do they have a track record of obedience? Do they have a pattern of behavior? Have I seen the fruit of their life to believe that this is someone that God would speak through to get my attention and to really speak truth into my life? And so obviously, uh, you know, it's the discernment, it's distinguishing. 
Um, and if, if someone comes to you and says that, then I think you should receive what they're saying and then pray about it and, and lean into the voices of wisdom in your life uh, to determine how you should respond to that. That's great. Week three was Mother's Day. So you and Corey, you team taught that Sunday talking about parenting. And the first question that came in that week is, how do you ensure that both parents are on the same page related to discipline and parenting? I loved that I gave Corey the opportunity to answer this question live. (laughs) I just kind of pushed her to the front. But, you know, I don't know that you can ensure that both parents are always on the same page. You're two different human beings from two different contexts Uh, parenting children the best that you can. I think the two most important things is that there's constant communication between parents. You know, if you're still married, obviously, if if you're mom and dad living at home, parenting your children, I think that's obviously something that you want to strive for is just constant communication. Um, Maybe if there's a a divorce situation, there's uh, step parents involved, obviously it requires just an even greater degree of communication to make sure that, you know, when the kids are at one house or the kids are with one set of parents or, you know, whatever the circumstances is, that we're just communicating. We're not working against one another. We're not uh, becoming enemies. We're teammates in this process trying to help these children navigate, um, you know, childhood and that kind of thing. So as it relates to discipline, the other thing that I would say, and my wife, try, uh, my wife and I try to live this out on a regular basis, is we try to support one another in front of the kids. And then if we need to really wrestle with some things privately, we do that. Hey, I don't know if that's the best way we should have done that. I don't know if we handled that correctly. But in front of the kids, we try to support one another. Um, Hey, you know, go do what your mom said. Go do what your dad said, whatever, um, so that they see, you know, a united front in that. Uh, It's not false bravado. We're not trying to win the battle with the kids. We're not combating against them, obviously, but we're supporting one another. And then, again, behind closed doors, if we need to have some conversation to correct some things for the future, uh, we, we can do that. The other thing that I would say is I, my wife and I are not afraid to apologize to our kids when we feel like we've gotten it wrong. True. So we've said to them, hey, you know what? Dad was frustrated and I disciplined you before we really had a chance to talk about why you were getting in trouble or the emotions got the best of me or, um, hey, I overreacted because I misunderstood something that happened there in public. Um, and so we're not afraid to apologize to our kids, you know, once the moments pass so that they know, hey, we make mistakes too and, and we're trying to do the best we can. For couples looking to start a family, how is how important is it to get on the same page spiritually, especially if you came from different spiritual backgrounds? I, I think it's important. You know, I think statistics show us that um, even people that walk away from the church, once they have kids, they really begin to reevaluate their spirituality and they you know tend to kind of lean back into faith or lean back into the church. And I think that's because there's something inside of all of us that desires to rear children, grow children in you know in a, a kind of context where they're becoming good people, even if it's not a faith-based thing. Um, and so church really is something that people lean into. But I think those are conversations that have to be had before you have kids. How do we want to raise these children? What are kind of the spiritual uh, non-negotiables for us? What are those moral non-negotiables? What are the things that we want to hold our kids uh, accountable to? And then obviously you don't have to have all the answers before you have a newborn. Uh, <laughs> you, you kind of grow into it. You learn. Uh, and I'd be careful before that you have children saying, we'll never do this. We'll always do this. Because there's a lot of those we'll never and we'll always that shift once you actually have those kids. About three days in, right? Yeah. You go, oh, wow, <laughs> we didn't know what in the world we were talking about. 
technology, you said it a bunch of times, technology is not going anywhere. Yep. And because of the iPhones, the iPads, the Kindles, et cetera, kids have greater access to information than ever before. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And as a parent, how do you control what information your kids get and at what age they get that different information. Yeah, you know, the first week and just a few minutes ago, we talked about, you know, how do you expose your kids to certain parts of Scripture. And, you know, I think as parents, it's just a constant wisdom balancing act. You're trying to determine how young is too young, how old is too old, when, when we're exposing them to different things. I think it's important that we expose our kids to not just technology, but various forms of entertainment, uh, and various influences while they're still under our influence so that we can help them navigate how to properly handle those things. Um, if we try to isolate our kids from all of the evils of the world and we try to isolate our kids from every influence that's not exactly like our influence, then once they leave the safety, you know, quote, air quotes there, of our home uh, and our relationship, then they don't know how to navigate those things well. And so if we help them do that, um, we help them process. We let them know it's okay to ask questions. We let them know it's okay to talk to us. Um, then, you know, then, then that gives them the safe place to explore those things. For our kids, obviously, technology is a part of our home. It's a part of our rhythm. We try to limit you know, how much they're consuming and that kind of thing. But we also use uh, as much technology to combat evil. So we've got filtering devices and blocking devices and accountability devices uh, or software and, and apps and things on their devices, anything they have access to. Uh, on my device, on my wife's device, so that we're accountable to one another about the things we're seeing, consuming, how much time we're spending. Uh, and so we do that. But I think it's just wisdom. And, and then obviously finding that balance to make sure that you're you're living, you know, an off-quoted and probably off-misquoted, but living in the world, but not of the world. You're not becoming exactly like the world, but you know how to engage in culture in a way that makes you relevant with the gospel that you carry in your life. For the parents that are listening that are curious, what do you guys use for those device, safe eyes, things like that. Yeah, we use, um, on all of our devices, we have the the app and the software called Covenant Eyes. It costs a monthly fee, and we have that on all of our devices, iPads, iPhones, iPods, uh, computers, you know, that kind of thing. And so it it blocks certain things, restricts certain things. It also filters certain content um, based on the age and how we set up those profiles. Um, They're redoing some of their software and even the way that they conduct themselves and, and doing some screen Uh, protection screen accountability so even things that you would see in apps that maybe aren't filtering through various web browsers Um, but even beyond that in our home network we use the Disney circle so we can set up a profile per family member um, and we can limit screen time we can limit certain apps that they have available to them we can limit certain uh, websites um, and then we can, you know, give uh, additional time. We can pause the entire internet for our house just through that device. It's an app on my phone. My wife has access to it as well, so that we can control our network in that way. Very cool. Yeah. Next question is, how do you teach your children to be wise with money? Yeah, we got this question live, and I said, you know, you could actually ask this question and insert your favorite category in the place yeah. of money there. How do you che- teach your children children to be wise in relationships? How do you teach your children to be wise in decision? How do you teach, you know, whatever? But specifically to this, you know, I think your kids are going to watch what you do. So I think it's more caught than taught. I think if you're wise with money, your kids are going to be pretty wise with money. If you're wise in relationships, they're going to be wise in relationships. If you're wise in business, you know, um, but I think they're going to watch you. I think the things that we teach um, hopefully are the things that we live out, but it's got to be what are those principles that guide us? Do we, related to money, do we believe in in tithing? Do we believe in generosity? Do we believe in saving? Or do we just spend everything we have? And and our kids are going to watch that. If we're teaching them when they get birthday money, do they need to tithe that? Do they need to save some of that and then spend the rest? Or 
um, you know, again, in anything that, that we're trying to teach our kids, I think they're going to watch us and then they're going to determine what is important in our house. How do we conduct ourselves? How do we live our lives? And so that's the way that I would, you know, answer that is just, they're going to watch you and they're going to know, they want to know what's the most important principles that you live by. The next question kind of deals with something that's kind of a hot topic in news and social media today is do we have a moral obligation as Christians to vaccinate our children? Yeah, you know, I think anytime I hear the the phrase moral obligation, um, I'm really careful with that because I think unless it's specifically outlined in Scripture, um, then it's not a black and white issue. It becomes one that you're kind of working out your own salvation in fear and trembling. You're you're kind of leaning into God's you know specific convictions on your life and your heart. And I think as parents, you have to do what you believe is best for your children. Uh, you have to use the wisdom that's given to you. Uh, you have to you know obviously use as much uh, grace as you can. Uh, but again, I think it's an individual decision. And, and the problem that I have on this topic specifically, if I can get on a soapbox, is that everybody tends um, to, to try to fight against one another. It becomes enemy against enemy. If you vaccinate, then you're the enemy of those who don't. If you don't vaccinate, you're the enemy of those who do. So um, I would be careful with moral obligation. I think as parents, you just have to do the best that you can. That's good. Final question that came in during the parenting week was, how do you discipline a child without making them feel like it's weird or that you don't understand? Yeah, I think discipline's always this, you know, tenuous thing. Um, I remember when my parents told me, oh, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. And I used to think, (laughs) you're a liar, you know. Um, I think discipline is not, we had a mentor in in our life when we first had children that said this phrase, you are not, when you're disciplining your children, you're not disciplining bad behavior. You're actually correcting towards future correct behavior. So when our kids do something wrong, when they tell a lie or they take something that's not theirs, we're not just disciplined that they did something wrong. We're correcting them so that they know that's not how we behave. And the next time you don't take something that's not yours or you don't tell something that's not true. So um, I think you have to explain that. You know, in leadership circles, they talk about giving the why behind the what. I think instead of just giving the what of discipline to your children, we have to explain it. Maybe not in the moment. Maybe it just needs discipline in this moment. But then coming afterwards to explain those things, to bring correction and help them understand why we don't do those things. It doesn't matter what your friends do or what those other families do. Here's why we don't do those things. Here's why we believe this or we conduct ourselves that way in our home. That's good. So week four, the final week, we talked about the spiritual stuff, prophecy, tongues. It was an incredible week. Um, But the first question that came in on week four was, why don't we still see signs and wonders like we saw in the Bible? Yeah, we got that question live, and I answered that in in each of our three services. Um, You know, I think that's an assumption uh, that we make. I think it it appears, because we have the collection of Scripture, uh, it appears that, you know, signs and wonders were happening all over the place, all the time, in the day of Scripture. And really, if you just kind of put yourself in that historical context, the signs and wonders were happening wherever Jesus was, or it was happening wherever God was moving through the prophets, or through the judges, or through the kings, or through his appointed man. Um, And so throughout the entire world, um, the things that were happening in the days of Moses were just the the things that Moses was doing before Pharaoh. Or when Jesus was healing uh, the blind man by spitting in the dirt and making mud, all the rest of the blind people in the world in that moment weren't being healed. So he walked to the pool of Bethesda, he healed one guy, he walked away and left the rest of the people there who were still sick, Uh, and which is another whole other conversation. But it's the idea of he was demonstrating his power in a specific moment for a specific purpose to prove that he could. Um, And so I think 
Uh, we've got to be careful how we interpret and read those collection of stories in Scripture. Signs and wonders were happening, but they were to demonstrate God's power in those specific instances. But I also think the assumption that it's not happening today is false. Um, it is happening today. We have testimonies. We have stories. People that say, hey, I was sick. Here's the doctor's report. The only thing that changed is we prayed and trusted God, and here's the new doctor's report. Here's the new uh, you know, survey or, or, or uh, exam report. Uh, when we see people that say, hey, I, I didn't have the money needed to do this, and God provided, and now I do. That's a miracle. That's signs and wonders. And so uh, it's happening all over the world. So I don't think that assumption is actually true. That's good. What does the Bible mean when it says to fear God? Yeah, I think this question is you know, asking uh, just about that word fear. Um, and I think for all of us, the, the key piece here is Scripture is obvious when it tells us that we're not supposed to fear, not supposed to be afraid. Fear not is an often used command of Scripture. Um, you know, we're, we're told in Scripture to come boldly before the throne room of God. Um, we're also told that perfect love casts out all fear. So this is not about fearing or being afraid of God. Um, this is more about the reverence of who God is, the respect of his authority over our lives, our submission to him um, and his position, so how we posture ourselves. And so just like my kids, perhaps for me or a teacher or an authority figure in their life, they would come with a respect of the authority that person has yeah. over their life um, when they petition them for something that they need or, or, or request or want. Um, we do that same. We come to God boldly because we're his children, according to Scripture. We're joint heirs with Christ. Um, but we also recognize that, like, it's just respect. It's just an awe and a reverence of him. It's a worship of who he is and not that we're afraid of him. Uh, that's not what he desires. So that's the last question that we had for this week four. Um, hopefully this has been beneficial to you. Um, we just promised our people at Canton Church that we wanted to get to these questions. And so uh, if you're a Canton Church folk, uh, we're glad that you've kind of tuned in here. If not, and you've just happened to find this, uh, God bless you. We're thankful that you've tuned in here today and, uh, and continue to look forward to our next series uh, as we start Romans this summer at Canton Church. God bless. about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 